Today we're still in the 49th chapter of Isaiah talking about uh, setting the captives free, bringing those back from captivity that were captive, and that we being, as Christ was a light unto the Gentiles, and it's our duty to, for spiritually to help spiritually release the captives from the bondage of this world, from the bondage of Satan, even from habits and things that have us bound. There's a lot of things that can have us captive. Even by not forgiving someone, that's captivity within itself. That person has you in captivity and you're holding them in a state of bondage to you because we won't be forgiven unless we forgive others. So truly, it's a, it's a spiritual light that Christ was going to be to the world, not only to the Jewish people, but to the whole world, that is, to all of the Gentile world, because the whole world is in bondage. We're born in bondage and captivity. And Christ had promised a redeemer by the woman or through the seed of the woman. And it's a promise by faith promised by the surety of God's word and us being children of Abraham are children of faith and we're to do the work of Christ and I was saying we need not only physical but spiritual release from the captivity of this world and I told you last time where Paul and Jesus didn't deal too much with the physical slavery that was in the world and I'm thinking I'd give you the uh, book of Philemon, Philemon, in which Epaphroditus was a slave that Paul had sent back to his master or whatever. And slavery was introduced into Hebrew culture by Jesus Christ to keep poverty down and to keep it to where your brethren could make do. Also, there were other things such as idolatry that would bring about captivity and not observing God's laws and God being obedient to his word, that would bring captivity. Yeah. We see the captivity, the 70 years captivity, surrounded, break, Sabbath break it, and them not keeping the Sabbath of God. Slavery to the world, Egypt was that type where Israel was in bondage in Egypt, which became a type of sin, type of the world and we all observe the known world today that that observe the Passover Pentecost um, the Passover which was observed in Egypt before the Exodus Egypt uh, Exodus 12 and 26 through 27 I wasn't going to cover the whole thing of Passover but it says and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service that ye shall say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed and the head worshipped, and the head worshipped. Uh, so what is Passover? Uh, right from the start, God knew that the young people would ask this very same question. And 
outside the church, those that may not observe Passover, the communion, supper, or whatever, really don't understand the symbolism and what that stands for and the memorial that's involved in it. Uh, It says, and it shall come to pass when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And explained it to them, he he prepared an answer for them. Verse 27 says, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Passover is a memorial day, a very important anniversary day, a day very much to be remembered. It commemorates three events, not just one event. It commemorates three events. As God said, it commemorates the tenth and last plague upon Egypt in which after giving them ample warning through nine previous plagues that God said that he would not pass over anymore, that he would pass over the nation of Egypt and kill the firstborn in the land. Plus, it would also kill those that wasn't observing, whether it be a Jew or not. If they hadn't didn't have the blood applied to their doorposts, to the lentils, he wouldn't see the blood. And if he didn't see the blood, he wouldn't pass over them. That's God's blood applied to our lives. We have to have his blood applied to our lives in this day and time. We need to be covered by the blood, the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the redeeming ransom cost, the price of his blood. It was the blood that saved us, him spilling his blood by his death. Through this decimating plague, God freed the children of Israel from their captivity and servitude in Egypt. Secondly, and most importantly, it commemorates the death of Jesus Christ, who was and is the firstborn son of God. Through his through Jesus' awful death, which by God's design, took place on Passover day uh, in A.D. 31, God freed us, that is, he regenerated Christians from our captivity and slavery to the world, to Satan, and to sin. It not only freed the Jews, but that was a commemoration of God's only son giving his life. He laid down his life on A.D. that night, you remember when Judas and the disciples come and he says that he had longed to eat that Passover with them. Yeah. And he went out and Jesus, I mean Judas betrayed him. But that's when we were freed from our captivity and slavery and bondage to the world. Finally, it commemorates the baptism of each Christian. When we formally accept the death of Jesus Christ, when we asked him to apply his priceless sacrifice to our sins, when we asked that he would cover and blot out our sins with his blood, Psalms 41 and 9, the book of Acts 3.19, and the book of Romans 4 and 7, our sins were blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood that was sprinkled in the heavenly of heavens and he ascended and to atone for us with his blood, that blood that was shed for us and went into the earth 
He brought us back. He set the captives free, a truly release of all captives. And that's one of the things that God had said. You wouldn't, it was a small thing for you to be a light unto Israel, unto Jacob, but you would be a light to the whole world. We're to carry out that act ourselves. We're to be lights to the world. It's the gospel of Christ, living the life that Christ lived. We become lights, he says, if I be lifted up, that you would be the lights unto the world. And we are to let that light so shine and men would see our light and give God the glory. Now, the Apostle Paul, which has a strong writing presence in the New Testament, and I'm going to read a few verses here out of Romans 6, chapter 16 through 19. He says, do you not know that when you continually offer yourself to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, that is, right standing with God. Let me read that in the Amplified Version here. It says, but thank God that through you, But though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you committed and have been set free from sin. You become the slaves of righteousness. We are his bondservant. We are bought by Jesus Christ. We were bought with a price of conformity to God's will and his purpose. That's our duty. That's the objective. That's why I say we are his bond servants. That's why Paul called himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. We no longer serve sin. We have we no longer have to serve sin. We voluntarily serve sin if we go back and serve sin because Christ had died to set us free. He paid that ransom. He rose with all power. That's why I say to those who receive Jesus Christ and believe upon his name, to those he gave the ability, in other words, the power to become sons of God. So you don't have to yield yourself unto Satan. Yield by faith you overcome all of the vices and schemes of the devil. It's a faith walk. It's strengthened through him. We have been set free from sin. You have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, your spiritual immaturity. He says, for just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now offer your members, that is your abilities, your talents, your whole body, everything, your body no longer belongs to you. Offer that as slaves of righteousness, which is leading to sanctification, that is being set apart for God's purpose. His word sanctifies us. It sets us apart by walking in his way, walking in his word. That's what the Sabbath did. It acted as a sign between him and his people, not just of creation, but they that was a seal, a sign unto his laws and obedience of God's word. Uh, the living version says, don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin, 
with death. That's what sin rewards you with death. That's the payment of sin. The wages of sin is death. Or else obedience that is acquittal through Christ Jesus. The one to whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master and you will be a slave. Thank God that though you once chose to be slaves of sin, now you have obeyed with all your heart the teaching to which God has committed you. And now you are free from your old taskmaster, that is, sin. And you have become slaves to your new master, that is, righteousness. We're no longer slaves of unrighteousness. You see, I speak this way using the illustrations of slaves and masters because it's easy to understand, just as you used to be slaves to all kinds of sin, so now you must let yourself be slaves to all that is right and holy. It's the living version of that. So Christ's blood, his death, it had set us free. This is some good news. This is what Israel was rejoicing over and, and left out of Egypt because through the miracles that he wrought that, that during that time, those 10 miracles over the Egyptian gods, each one of those miracles was aimed at the, the gods that the Egyptian worshipped. And through his triumph over them, it's the same as the gospel. That's why last week when I told you Hebrews, the third or 13th chapter through the third chapter, the 16th verse through the fourth chapter, I think it was the third verse, explained that the gospel was preached to them. In other words, the illustration to them as Hebrews on which they understood was the same as the gospel that's been preached to us. But it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. We have to have faith, faith coming by hearing, hearing the word of God. So releasing the captives comes by the word preached. That is the good news, the gospel. The gospel help establish us in the truth. The truth is what sets us free. His word is light. His word is light. And as we are lights shining in a dark place, we're to bring light to the world. In other words, we set the captives free. The gospel is liberating. The gospel liberates us from bondage that the world has us in. That's why he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. That word strengthened us consistently, and it causes the yoke of bondage to be broken. It says the anointing breaks the yoke, in other words, the Holy Spirit. Because as we act by faith, each time we act upon something, and by exercise of use of his word and believing in his word and his promises, the works of Jesus Christ, we have ever-increasing faith and we grow in virtue, we grow in knowledge and understanding. We have to keep adding. We have to be strengthened to overcome. The gospel loosens the cords of sin that binds us. In our lives, we have to pull down the strongholds that Satan has in our lives. We have to bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. So all of our thought life, it has to be channeled through that obedience to Jesus Christ because obedience adds up to acquittal. Yes. 
In other words, as we are acquitted, as we become sons of God, he gives us that power, that ability. And that's why he told Peter, he said, how would you like to have those things that you say? Well, that's what we do. We speak those things become, that become sound doctrine. We walk in the word and we emulate Jesus Christ. We walk as he walked. We live as he lived. Yeah. Release from slavery. The gospel does. Salvation was in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 here. It says, You shall do more than restore Israel to me. I will make you a light to the nations of the world to bring my salvation to them. Yeah. Amplified says, he says, It is too trivial a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Yes. So when we came about in the Great Commission, he said, Going in, Go ye into all the world preaching and teaching, making disciples of all men. That That's a, a commission. That's a great commission that he told all of us that we should do the work of evangelists, our lives that we live, even though you may not be able to preach or teach, but you can live as Christ lived. People uh, see the life that you live in. Luke, the third chapter in the sixth verse, it says, and all mankind shall see the salvation of God. Remember, Simeon saw the salvation of God when he saw Jesus Christ. And he said, that's the salvation of God. The Spirit pointed him to the truth and revealed that was the Christ child. He said, this child will be for the piercing of the hearts of many. That's why I ask you, can you see God? Our walk of faith gives us ability to see God. And we're talking through the eyes of faith. And we stay focused. We keep our focus upon him. Because he say he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. So he's in the world. His works are in the world. The Father doeth yet work. He's continuing and working from creation. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, I'm going to give you several verses here about this salvation. It says, second chapter of Acts 21st verse, it says, And it shall be that everyone who calls upon, name, upon the name of the Lord, that is, invoking and adoring and worshiping the Lord Jesus, shall be saved, that is, rescued spiritually. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just not naming that name without a full commitment of it. it we're not talking witchcraft or anything here. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about those that worship in spirit and in truth. Because there are those that use his name in vain, that use the Lord's name in vain. Romans, the fifth chapter, and the 18th verse says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. That is, yes, Adam's sin brought punishment to all. He was the corporate head. He says, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That is, Christ's righteousness makes men right with God so that we can live a holy life. We, his righteousness is imputed unto us. We're justified in him. We're made and put in right standing, justified. You remember I said that word justification puts us in proper standing. It reconciles us back to God and as though we never sinned. Yeah. 
It puts us back in the communication with God that God, Jesus Christ had died and opened the veil that we could boldly go to the throne of grace and petition the Father in Jesus' name because everything we do is for the building up of the kingdom. It's for Christ's sake. So anything that we ask the Father, we have access to it in Jesus' name, anything that we ask the Father. John said in 1 John, he says, we have that which we ask of him because we keep his commandments. His commandments is not grievous unto us. Those laws are being written on our hearts. And as sons of God, Jesus says, the Father heareth me. I know you hear me all the time. Christ is listening just as the Father is listening because they are one. And the Spirit in us makes intercession for us sometime when we can't audibly utter or say what we know. Want the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings and moanings. So we have that working in our favor, being child, children of God. First Timothy 2 and 4 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's his mission. Along the way, he said in, in the book of Isaiah, the 49th chapter, that they would feed along the pathway, and we'll talk about that more in a week or two or whatever. But you see, the gospel is so that our voice, the voice of Bible, we goes throughout the earth. We have a missionary endeavor to preach the word of God. There are people in India and different countries that I look on sermon audio and see people that in all these countries that are listening to the word of gospel, word of God being preached by us. But not only this church, there are over 2 million sermons on sermon audio where God's word is going throughout the whole earth. We have to hear the word and build on the word and by faith determine the word of God. In other words, this is the way. Let me walk therein. But through those paths, the gospel, by being universal, it's the same in Australia as it is in Somalia. The gospel is the same as China, one of the biggest mission fields, because there's a light that had been lit that lighted all men. That was the, we read in John a couple of weeks ago, Christ was the light that lighted all men that come in the world. This is a universal gospel. It doesn't have to be through a mega church. It can be, he says, the small flock. He called it a small flock. But it's the word of God being preached, so that's what we're to do, feed his sheep. So not only in this assembly, but we send that word out in the apostles' word, the word of God goes out throughout the whole earth, strengthening his people that hear the word. That's why we hear the word. We listen at the word. That's more necessary for us than our physical food. Man shall live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Second Timothy, the second chapter and 11 verse says, 
for the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodly lusts, that we should live soberly, ungodly lusts and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The gospel had the grace of God had appeared to all men. How was Noah saved? Noah was saved by grace. That's the only way because no man merits salvation. Grace is the riches of God given unto man. It's God's merit in which we are saved through faith. It's God's riches. And he can't give you anything more earnest than the earnestness of the inheritance of the Holy Ghost. It's something that we didn't don't deserve. We we can't we can't do anything to earn this. This is the gift of God. And 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 things happen when we receive this gift. Uh, the Amplified says, "For the remarkable undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men." It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. The more we grow in the grace and knowledge of understanding of God, the more we broke, break the ropes of sin that binds us, and the more we give out light to somebody else. We love giving the word, feeding others. The stronger you get, the more light he gives you. The more you use this and let it flow through you as a source, as a channel to others, he's going to let, as men see that light, you glorifying God and praising God, God's going to strengthen you to carry that light further and more stronger and more brilliantly. That's why you let that light so shine. You don't hide that light. The living says, along with this gift comes the realization that God wants us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures and to live good, God-fearing lives day after day. So his word produces an effect in it. That's why it causes the effectual call of God. His word has an effect upon his children. And they grow just, they call it the milk of the word. And as you use that word, as you use it, you become able to digest the strong meat of the word. The process to to go deeper, to eat of the hidden man. Second Peter, third chapter, the ninth verse says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see that this objective of setting the captives free, where all in the world there will be a time when the kingdom of God is is throughout the whole earth, and that they'll flow unto Zion, flow unto the kingdom of God receiving this word. And that's the voice that would go throughout the whole earth. That's the one language. The whole earth would be one language again. Right now, it's of many different languages that God had scattered the people and scattered the late nation. But he preaches of a great unity, a great restoration, a great turning, a reconciling unto him. Because the bonds of spiritual slavery 
will have been broken. So we are continually breaking those bonds. In the book of Deuteronomy, as I was saying about the Sabbath, the fifth chapter, the twelfth through the fifteenth verse says, Keep the Sabbath day holy. This is my command. Work the six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. No work shall be done that day by you or by any of your household. Your sons, daughters, servants, oxen, donkeys, or cattle, even foreigners living among you must obey this law. Everybody must rest as you do. Why should you keep the Sabbath? And it's because you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out with a great display of miracles. That's the Sabbath. That's the message that the Creator, He had freed you from bondage in Egypt. That's why I say that was the gospel. With all these great miracles and works, I brought you out because you wasn't keeping the Sabbath in Egypt. And that's why when He gave the commandments to Moses, He said, remember the Sabbath. Notice how that commandment was given. Remember the Sabbath because the Sabbath is what had set them apart all the way back in the beginning. He had the Sabbath when the earth was one. But you remember a lot had transpired during that time. The Tower of Babel, the flood, the sons of God and the daughters of men. That was because they inched away from God's word or God's doctrine. There were false preachers and false teachers during the time of Noah. Yes. That's what the sons, I mean the daughters of men, they're preaching and teaching men of renown. Just as today people want us to unite with all of the churches and unite with a different thing. No, the word of God unites the people. It's not a towel of Babel again that we unite for the sake of uniting. The word preached is what's going to bring us together. And it's going to separate because that's a word of judgment. That's a declaration of war because along with setting the captives free, it destroys our enemies, those that have us in bondage, those that oppressed us, just like Pharaoh and his army were destroyed in the Red Sea. Well, there's a destruction of the enemy. There's a destruction of the malevolent forces that seek to bring us into captivity and bondage. So many enemies may be those of our own household. The word of God is what sets us free. We're loosened by that. Now, this occurrence of the fourth commandment reveals another way that the Sabbath sanctifies. The emphasis here is that it be kept so that we will remain free. It says, Remember on this day that you were a slave, and I set you free. The implication is obvious here. The Sabbath draws one to remembrance of the past of our spiritual slavery in Egypt and where we are headed toward the promised land. We were back there where we didn't get rest, where we wasn't observing the Sabbath. Now we've been set free headed to the promised land. Well, now we enter into God's rest, a spiritual rest now into which God's going to bring us into his land again. He's going to give us this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is among us. So it's not a physical, but it's spiritual here. We're looking at rest in Christ Jesus. He had given us rest in him. He doeth the works now. 
We sitting in heavenly places. We're no longer ours. Our body doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Christ. We're slaves, bond slaves of him. So we yield ourselves unto him. The Sabbath looks back and forward, but with a somewhat different perspective than in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Before it was tied merely to creation, yet God still has a creative process going on. In the beginning, God created, and those six days God worked, and on the seventh day he worked. But if you remember when the Pharisees was discussing it with Jesus Christ about him working on the Sabbath, and he says that the Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. He said, his father doeth yet work. God's still doing a work because he said, let us create man in our image and our likeness. And that's what Jesus Christ does is doing. He's creating us in his image and likeness. That's not a complete process yet. It is finished as so far as in the word of God. It's finished from God's perspective because God sees the beginning from the end. I mean the end from the beginning. So to God, this is complete. We know how the book ends or whatever, but we still have to go through our part. Time is left for us to carry out this process. Now we find that his creative process is designed to produce freedom and to continue providing liberty from sin, Satan, and this world that God accomplished through the redemptive death of Jesus Christ. There's something going on in his good deliver up the kingdom to the Father. The Spirit is continually working. So we're working in Christ Jesus. All we're doing now is walking therein, an obedient walk in Christ. This is done through the messages, the sermons given in Sabbath day services and at other times because we're given to the church as gifts unto the church for the perfecting of the saints. Almost all messages involve sin and our enslavement to it to some degree. Now, on the other hand, the Ten Commandments are the law of liberty. Is that what James says in James 2 and 12? He calls it the law of liberty. And by keeping them, we remain free of enslavement by Satan and this world because to us, the commandments are not grievous. He's written it on our hearts, and this is what we live by. Man's living, we know that we live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's why he told us to meditate in his word day and night. Don't turn to the right nor the left. We have to look at this word. We have to eat the whole row. We have to continue in that word. It is on the Sabbath that God instructs his people through his word about how to keep the commandments and remain free. Now that's a spiritual Sabbath. So if you're looking and trying to focus on a day of the week or whatever, we have to see that Christ comes in our heart and gives us rest. So we are led by the Spirit of God, All should be all the time, because those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Amen. Yes. Now the fourth commandment was, they heard was good news. It was fantastic good news. Unto Pharaoh turned up the heat. And their joy of hearing the good news turned to affliction and persecution. 
Remember, they got mad at Moses because Pharaoh kind of clamped down on him. He said, now you have to make brick without us giving you the straw. See, the world's going to go harder on you. People, once Satan, once the world, once those that are opposed to God's plan see you turning to God, it's not going to get easier. It may get much harder. If it, they did it to the green tree, the dry tree, they could do it to the green tree. What they've done unto him, a disciple is no more than his master. They crucified him. Think of what they'll do with us. Because he told us in this life we will have persecutions and sufferings and all these other things. So don't come in the church looking for a trialless life or a life of ease or for things to change for the better. God has a plan for us, and we don't know how that plan goes. The Word tells us, and it prepares us, but we don't know what's in each individual's heart in which God's going to lead that person. This was part of God's purpose, too, because they were experiencing the combination of believing and then receiving a test was beginning to show a difference between Israel. See, because God test our faith. That's what how we grow. He doesn't just say a whole lot without building us up in the faith. That's why he says built up in the faith. He didn't allow them to face a challenge of going straight where the Philistines was because if they saw battle and war, they would turn. They would be afraid. Yeah. But see, as God takes you and grow you gradually, you'll become as bold as Peter was when he preached on the day of Pentecost and when he told the Pharisees that man ought to obey God rather than man. Yes. So sometimes it's a gradual growth that Christ takes us through. It's not a process of happening overnight. A kind of sanctification of setting us apart. This Difference intensifies through the plagues. You remember the plague started with Moses' uh, staff turning into a serpent and it went to the frogs and to the lice and then it went all the way to the death of the firstborn. Yeah. That was the God turns up the heat just like Abraham's faith. It was some 30 years Abraham's faith walk was before Abraham, God asked him to kill Isaac. Had he asked him to kill Isaac at the beginning of this faith walk, it would have been far greater than him lying and say Sarah was his wife. But he got to the point to getting beyond saying Sarah was his wife to taking out a knife, actually beginning to slay his son. His faith had increased. We're looking at ever-increasing faith. Can you see yourself today as a... Uh, example here you came into the church and you was willing to tithe and you loved it to tithe but sometime your faith hadn't got to the point where you trusted God to the point that when you got your check that was the first thing you did was tied to God and then you had to make it off the rest of it the first thing a lot of them did is growing in faith what they would do they would have the intentions of tithing to God, but they would take care of the bills and the other things, and then what they have left, they would give to God because they faith hadn't come to the point of saying, 
I'm going to give God his. I'm going to tie it to God. And now he's going to produce a miracle or get me through. Or someone else have to sacrifice. I'm not going to rob God. I have to pay God his. That's giving him the preeminence in our lives. And that sometimes has a long time coming in some of our lives. Spiritual liberty. Spiritual liberty. That's the mark of the new dispensation, spiritual liberty. Verse 9 says, saying to those who are bound and captured, go forth. And to those who are in spiritual darkness, show yourselves, come into the light of the Savior. They will feed along the roads on which they travel, and their pastors will be, that's places of eating, not pastor as in leader, but pastors, P-A-S-T-U-R-E-S will be on all the bare heights. That is, the mission of Christ to proclaim. We need to proclaim the mission. Our mission is to proclaim Christ. That gives spiritual liberty. Isaiah 61 and 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted to proclaim release from confinement and condemnations to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to the prisoners. That's also said in which Christ spoke in the book of Luke, the fourth chapter and 18th verse. That's what we're to do. That's what God's word does. It sets the captives free. It pronounces healing. If you have enough faith, you remember Paul in preaching and he's seen some people as Peter did. He says that that person had faith to be healed. Some of our faith is strong enough to overcome and heal us because it's out there. Christ has provided. But have your faith wrecked you to that point? The woman that wasn't cured and she touched out and she says, only if I can touch the hem of his garment. What did he tell us? Did that reaching by garment made you whole? He says, your faith has made you whole. The faith is what did it because that's the way she believed. You need to cast out all unbelief. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In those areas where you're weak in faith, the truth, the instrumentality, the truth is the instrumentality, just like, the rod was the instrument by which he says, he has made my tongue a polished shaft. That rod, the sword of God, that's the instrument by where we use. Well, the truth is the instrument. The truth is the way in the life. Yeah. And it's the light. Truth is light. John eight twelve says, and you will know the truth. That is the truth regarding salvation. And the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. That truth releases the bonds. You have power to loose and bind, he told Peter. So that truth is is an instrument that bounds the wicked. They're bound by the law. They're bound by certain things, but the gospel sets God's children free. That word of God, the truth is what sets us free. A new law of life sets free. In other words, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We operate under a different set of laws now. Romans 8 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being. In other words, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
we're a new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. It, he says, now are you the sons of God. Now you have eternal life. Now, to the degree which you believe that, you're a new creation in him. You'll be able to accomplish many more things. It's the bondage of sin is broken. The bondage of sin is broken. Uh, Romans 8, 21 that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain interest into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's because creation itself is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. So the earthquakes, the fires, all of the weather pattern, all of this, God's creating a new heavens and a new earth. All that can be shaken is being shaken. It's being removed out of the way. All of that, that that's not in Christ Jesus, that is not upon a firm foundations, the calamities and the storms and what the tribulation that comes in life is shaking all of that loose. It says, if the foundations be destroyed. So don't build your house up on sand and wind and up on things that won't last because each man's work is going to be tested. And if you've been building with wood, straw, and hay, it's going to tell also. The presence of the Spirit secures. The presence of the Spirit secures. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. In other words, emancipation from bondage, true freedom. We're free wherever Christ's spirit. And Abraham found out that he thought God's spirit wasn't where Pharaoh and Abimelech was. The reason he lied to say Sarah was his sister. Mm. But God was right there. It's just that Abraham couldn't see him or didn't feel it. Abraham speculated against God. He didn't know uh, the vastness of the sovereignty of God at that time. Captivity, verse 21 says, Then shall thou say in thine heart, Who had begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who had brought up these? Behold, I was left alone, these, where had they come from? Many are young men, you know, you lose your children and your sons and daughters as Job did. Now it's so many young men coming to you. And it, Paul told, uh, Timothy told, Paul told in the book of Timothy to treat the old man as fathers, as elders. There's a lot of, he called Timothy his son in the faith. So we'll have those that come to us that would be children to us, would be sons and daughters to us, would be our family and a spiritual family. And you will wonder, God has helped me, as he said Manasseh and Ephraim did. God had blessed me and helped me to forget. All of those old memories and scars, now God has put me in a vast place where I've grown and all memories, all this is in, in the past. We're living in, in abundance now. God has truly given me joy and helped me to forget. Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter and 11 verse is, Now hear me therefore and deliver the captives again, which you have taken captive of your brethren. 
for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So we're going to be able to cause others to loose those that are in bondage. All of those that are in spiritual churches that are being taken captive will be released. And I'm not naming any particular church because, like I said, religion, apostasy itself will be banned. Only the truth will be set, will be there. It's the freedom of the children of God because the evildoers, it says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Yes. God's going to be working a work in his spirit. That's why I say there's going to be a lot of destruction. The, the war that's going on, the calamitous results, that's why sometimes we don't save those that God has destined for destruction because we can't turn a goat into a sheep. Some of them are made to be taken and destroyed. They're natural brute beasts, which were created to be taken and destroyed. Didn't care Faraday? He said, for this purpose, I created you, was to receive glory of you, to destroy you. Captives, verse 24 to 25, it says, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty of the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contended with thee, and I will save thine children. In other words, this destruction he's going to take away from the strong man. And how can you destroy a strong man? You have to first bind the strong man before you can take his goods to remove all of these things. Man, we're moving slow here. I still have five pages to go with only 10 minutes so we'll have to do this another time but there's a lot of captives of war captives in war Genesis 14 and 12 Numbers 31 and 9 Deuteronomy 20 and 14 Deuteronomy 21 and 11 Second Kings 25 and 6 Second Chronicles 25 15 Nehemiah 1 and 11 and a release from slavery. As Ezekiel, he told him, just preach the word. And Christ would put spirit into them. So all we have to do is preach the word. He says, speak unto the bones, Ezekiel. And as he spoke to the bones, the bones began to come together. But then God sent the wind to bring life into the bones. He had, you know, you... There has to be life, just as God blew the breath of life into man. Mm-hmm. God puts life into us spiritually that causes us to loosen all the things that bind us. That's why I say Satan feels his hope being loosed. First Corinthians, the tenth chapter, six to the eleven verse says, "Now these things, that is, the warnings and admonition, took place as examples for us." Mm-hmm. so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Do not be worshipers of handmade gods as some of them were, just as it is written in Scripture. The people sat down to eat and drink, afterwards sacrificing to the golden calf at Horeb, and stood up to play that is indulging in immoral activities. We must not indulge in nor tolerate sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. 
We must not tempt the Lord, that is, test his patience or question his purpose or exploit his goodness, as some of them did, and they were killed by serpents. And do not murmur in unwarranted discontent, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and warning to us. They were happened to them as example to us. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. As we look back in Old Testament and what how he did with the people or whatever, we should be able to build on that and learn lessons not to do what they did. Yeah. They were anti-types. Yeah. We shouldn't. We should be the opposite of what they did if we want to inherit this land. Israel experienced in Egypt and in the wilderness is an object lesson that God desires us to reflect on frequently. In other words, all the time, be mindful of what happened to them. Once freed from slavery to Egypt, it took the Israelites but seven days to cross the Red Sea, breaking completely clear of Egyptian control. But in, a, in, in contrast, in dramatic contrast to this, it took them 40 years to re- walk the remaining few hundred miles. The promised land was right there. Yeah. But it took them 40-some years. And doing that thing, all of the men of war, their bodies dropped. Only Caleb, Caleb and Joshua entered to the promised land because of their actions and their disobedience. And they had been set free from Egypt. They had been freed from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And in just that space, so will we allow ourselves to match this miserable record by failing to maintain our liberties? For freedom he had set us free, but sometime we could be entrapped again by the same things that had us bound. We can, at Samson, we can play around with sin. He toyed around with Delilah, and she found out his secret that caused him to be bound. We, don't, we shouldn't allow these things to bring us back in our, into bondage. Don't use our liberty unwisely. What a costly expedition this is. In the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, the 16th through the 19th, it clarifies the cause of failure more succinctly. It shows us what happened to them. Listen to this. It says, For who having heard rebel, indeed, was it not with all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose carcasses, corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter in his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us be careful of that, that we don't fail to enter into his rest, into the promised land because of unbelief. God is the same thing. Our sins and transgressions separates us from sin. They're the cords of sin that binds us. Mm. Unbelief, disobedience. 
walking and doing things that we sh- walking too close to the edge. Mm-hmm. We need to stay close to the trunk of the tree. We shouldn't get close to the end edge of the path and play with sin. Clearly, they did not make the right efforts to defend their God-given liberties. And that's why I say we in a battle here. There's liberty that in Christ Jesus, but with that liberty, we shouldn't use it as a cloak to, to do wrong, to do evil. There are a lot of people use that cloak of liberty in Christ Jesus the wrong way. They use their position and all of these other things. Instead, they exacerbated their circumstances by failing to discipline themselves to submit to God's rule over their lives, each though he freely rescued them from slavery. But you have to buffet yourself to bring yourself into captivity. In other words, captive to the word of God, captive to that which sets us free and not to self-pleasure. You know, a lot of times with the gospel of prosperity and all of these things. No, it's not a sin to be wealthy, but it's a sin to pursue this wealth. It's not a sin to eat, but gluttony is a sin. There are certain things in life that God had said that we could do, but why tempt the Lord thy God. So we have to learn they were unwilling to pay the cost of directing their lives as he commanded, despite knowing through the many manifestations of his power that he exacted, uh, acted exactly as Moses said he would. That what God, God, Moses told them that he would turn and destroy them just like he did Shiloh. But a lot of times we're saying he won't do that to the church and what God could do for his people. Beware. Read up on Egypt. I read up on Israel in the Old Testament of how rebellious and stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-headed they was the reason God destroyed them. Now, deliverance is promised Job five nineteen, Psalm ninety one and three, First Corinthians ten thirteen. It's so many of these, and I don't have time to read them. But he says he Job five nineteen says he will rescue us from six troubles, even in seven. Evil will not touch us. But is that a reason to tempt God? Is that a reason to play with sin? Psalm ninety three says ninety one and three says. For he will save you from the trap of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. But is that a reason to tempt God? Is that a reason to say, well, if I get COVID and you shouldn't wear a mask so we can gather together in this crowded room when the scientists are saying this is killing people, this is destructive. Well, I made it through COVID, but I didn't tempt faith. I didn't tempt the things and say, well, I can just go in this crowd. I can do all these things. No, I stayed separated as as the people that God had given knowledge and understanding to that I made it through that plague and that pestilence. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. 
But God is faithful to his word. He will. He is compassionate and trustworthy. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation he has in the past and now is, in all ways will, provide a way of escape. So we see.